First reading is from the book of Psalm, Psalm 30. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cry to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up from my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. The second reading is taken from John chapter 16. Jesus said, A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again a little while, and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. To begin, let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I would ask that by your Spirit I would be faithful to your word, that your people would be edified, and your Son, Jesus, glorified. For we ask this in his name. Amen. 
These past weeks, we've been exploring John chapters 14 through 16. These are Jesus' last words to his disciples. He's commissioning them to live into the call of discipleship, what it means to follow him. And he began by pointing them to the end goal. He said, I'm going ahead to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many rooms. And he's not pointing here, as we've been saying, to the end goal of a heavenly future, some spiritual ethereal existence, but rather he's using ancient Jewish wedding imagery to point to a future marriage, the marriage of heaven and earth, where God's will is done on earth as in heaven, where our world would be shot through with the beauty, grace, love, and justice of the living God. Now, in light of this glorious future, Jesus invites his disciples, both them and us, to live in anticipation of that future in everything that we do and say and pray. But the disciples, they've been full of questions. How will we do this without you? Without you showing the way, without you revealing the Father, without you manifesting your power? He says, my going away doesn't mean less of me. It means more of me, more of my presence, more of my power, more of my light and love in you and through you. For if I go away, I'll send the Spirit, the Comforter, the Advocate, who will inhabit, enable, empower you. Now, our text today, which I'll invite you either to turn in your Bibles or your bulletin or the Pew Bibles, is from John chapter 16, beginning at verse 16. As Jesus here continues to speak of the person and work of the Holy Spirit with a particular focus on joy, a joy that comes about by the Spirit's work, a joy that is indestructible, that nothing and no one can take away, a joy that animates our living in anticipation of this glorious future in all we do and say and pray. Now, the pursuit of joy is at the heart of who we are as human beings, right? I mean, it was the French philosopher and mathematician Blaise Pascal who said this, all of us seek joy without exception. Whatever different means we employ, we all tend to this end. The will never takes the least step but to joy. It is the motive of every single action of every one of us. And we know this by experience, right? This pursuit of joy shapes how we spend our time, our money, our energy. It shapes who we get into relationship with, who we end relationship with, It shapes what we do for work, what we do for pleasure. It shapes our parenting. I I don't care what my kids do as long as they're happy. But we recognize in this pursuit of joy that that it's fleeting, right? It so easily slips through our fingers. Why? Because so often our joy is wrapped up in circumstance. Our happiness is related to happening. When things are as we would want them to be, well, there's joy. When things are not as we would want them to be, there's sorrow. Incidentally, this pandemic has further exposed this fleeting nature to joy as lockdowns and restrictions have taken or diminished our sources of joy. 
Perhaps your joy has been wrapped up in looking a certain way. With gems and personal services unable to be HUD, you don't look a certain way or don't think you do when your joy is diminished. Perhaps your joy is wrapped up in the freedom to get out and travel and experience new things, but flights are grounded and borders closed and lockdowns have kept us home, and our joy is diminished. Perhaps our joy is wrapped up in being around others, but events have been canceled, restaurants are closed, and virtual connection is just not the same, and our joy is diminished. Why is it diminished? Because we've located our joy in things that change, and any location of joy in things that change, that joy will come to an end. Has the pandemic diminished your joy? I suspect for the vast majority of us, it's been a yes. But this can be a gift if we would but receive it as such. For the diminishment of joy exposes where we've located our joy, exposes its fleeting nature, and awakens within us a yearning for a joy that is indestructible, a joy that no one and nothing can take away. And this is the kind of joy that Jesus promises. He says, you will rejoice, will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. It can't be diminished. This is a joy like none other, a joy that every other joy is but a shadow and a pointer. Now, the key to this entire teaching of Jesus is found in his illustration in verse 21. If we understand the illustration, we understand the nature of his teaching, the nature of this joy, its source, and how to lay a hold of it and grow in it. The illustration is from verse 21. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born in the world. We have to understand that Jesus writes this, or says this rather, before pain meds and epidurals, when childbirth and mortality was extremely common. I would suspect that there's many a woman who has heard these words of Jesus and thought, well, that's rather naive. Only a man could say something like that. Nothing has ever made me forget that kind of pain and anguish. So how are we meant to hear these words of Jesus? I remember when our eldest son, Joshua, was born by emergency C-section at Mount Sinai. He was then transported across the road to sick kids, and he was put in the CCU because he had a congenital heart defect. Lori, my wife, understandably wanted to go and see him, but the doctor said, no, you you can't leave the hospital. Well, that wasn't going to fly with her. She was going to sign herself out against medical advice. They finally relented and let her go over to sick kids with strict instructions to come back over during rounds to receive her pain meds. I wheeled her over to see Josh. The appointed return time came and went, and Lori refused to leave Joshua's side. Only hours later, when shift change happened and we couldn't be with him anymore, would she relent and let me wheel her back. Was the pain gone? No. It was excruciating. Was it forgotten? Of course not. But the pain wasn't controlling her. 
It wasn't determining her thoughts and guiding her actions. The joy of being with Josh, the joy of being in his presence, was determining her thoughts and controlling her actions. It was a joy she had in spite of the pain. You see, in the Bible, they will say that when we receive Jesus, God remembers our sin no more. That mean he doesn't see it? He's forgotten it? No, of course not. He's aware. He knows. But it means he doesn't control the way he relates to us. It's not the thing that he focuses on. It's still there. He knows it's still there. But his primary way of relating to us in Jesus is not as a sinner, but as a child. I think this gets at after what we're, how we're meant to hear Jesus' illustration. The woman who goes through labor hasn't forgotten the pain and anguish, but it's not controlling her thoughts, determining her actions. The joy of new life is. So how does this relate to the joy he promises? Well, he moves right away to apply this illustration to us. He says, verse 22, so also with you. It's the same with you. You can have this as well. Like a new mom, you can have joy in the midst of sorrow. The joy that we have tied up with circumstance, tied up with things that change, means we're either going to be joyful or we're going to be sorrowful. This joy can be ours in the midst of sorrow. Why? Because it's not rooted in circumstance. It's not rooted in things that change. It has an entirely different source. And what is the source? of this indestructible joy. Well, our text opens up with the confusion of the disciples. Jesus has said, in a little while, you won't see me. In a little while, you'll see me again. And they're confused. Well, what does this mean, in a little while? And he enlightens them. In verse 20, he points to his death and resurrection. He says, in a little while, I'll be dead. He'll be sorrowful. But the world will rejoice. The Romans, the... The the chief priests, the Pharisees, they'll be rejoicing at this reality. But then in a little while, you'll see me again, and you will rejoice. And then after the illustration of verse 22, he rephrases it. He says, I will see you, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take this joy from you. It would seem that from the wording of the text and its flow that Jesus invites us to see this illustration of the woman in labor as a picture of what he's doing for us on the cross. And it's confirmed by Jesus' use of the word hour, when her hour has come. That's not normally a way that we speak of a woman in labor, her hour has come. But in John, that word hour is a key word, word pregnant with meaning. It's the way that Jesus will refer to his death. My hour is approaching. What's he saying? He's saying on the cross, I labored for you. I was in agony for you. As I looked forward to the joy of new birth, the joy of you coming to new life in me, the joy of you being adopted as a child of my heavenly Father, the joy of a new humanity, the joy of an entirely new creation. As Hebrews 12 puts it, for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. That means that you and I, the new creation, was the joy that was set before Jesus, that led him to endure the cross. 
So how might we lay a hold of this joy, grow in this joy? Well, again, his illustration guides us. The pain for the woman in labor is still there. The memory of it is still a reality. But her focus is not on the pain, not on the anguish, but on the joy of new life. Jesus is inviting us to lay a hold of this joy, to grow in it by focusing on the implications of the resurrection. For the resurrection is the glorious assurance of our salvation. Our sins have been forgiven. Death will not have the last word. There's a new beginning of a new humanity, the beginning of a new creation, the coming consummation of the marriage of heaven and earth. And as we've been saying in this series, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to lead us to behold Jesus, to allow his work to be glorified in our lives, to have it be the most weighty, significant, important reality in our life. J.C. Ryle was a past Anglican bishop of Liverpool and speaks of this assurance of our salvation being the foundation of our joy. He says this, Assurance goes far to set a child of God free from a painful kind of bondage. It ministers mightily to their comfort. It enables them to feel that the great business of life is settled, the great debt is paid, the great disease is healed, the great work a finished work, so that all other business, diseases, debts, and works are by comparison small. In Tim Keller's book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, he speaks of how this joy we can have in the midst of sorrow works. And he likens it to a furnace with a thermostat. And when it gets colder outside, the temperature will kick that furnace in by way of the thermostat. Similarly, sorrow and grief drive us more into God more into the assurance of our salvation, more into his love, more into a joy. So the joy doesn't come after the sorrow. The sorrow actually drives us into that joy, enhances the joy, such that the joy enables us to actually feel your grief without it sinking you. It'll draw you away from numbing the pain or avoiding the pain, which is usually how we deal with pain. In other words, this joy will lead us on a path to emotional health. Now, whenever I think of this nature of joy, a joy in sorrow, I often think of the life of Horatio Spafford. He was an American lawyer who lost everything in the Chicago fire of 1871. He then had his three daughters die drowning as their ship sunk on the way to England. As he was going over to England to bring his wife home, who'd survived this uh, drowning, he penned the words to a hymn, one of my favorite hymns. This is what it says. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. 
How could he possibly, in the midst of the same M, the same breath, express the agony of deep sorrow and the joy, the bliss of a glorious thought? He's found a joy that the sorrow presses him into. In his hour of sorrow, he beholds Jesus' hour. He beholds the one who labored for him, beholds the glorious assurance of his salvation. Did it make the sorrow go away? No. But he could now face the grief, the agony, the loss without it pulling him under, without it marring his inner being, hardening him, embittering him. That was wonderful, as this joy is for our own sake. Jesus' teaching on joy here is not just meant for us to feel good in the midst of sorrow, to be drawn into that joy in the midst of sorrow. It is meant to actually bring us to live in step with the new creation and all we do and say and pray. Now, how will such a joy lead us to this way of being in the midst of the world? Well, if Pascal was right, which I believe he is, that all of our actions are motivated by this pursuit of joy, where we locate our joy will lead us to pursue it. And we know this by experience, right? One of the things the pandemic revealed to me more and more about where my source of joy is is that it is all about getting out in nature and pursuing some of my outdoor activities. And as the lockdown came into effect this winter, one of the first questions I asked was, does it mean I can still go ice fishing? So I religiously followed the social media ice fishing posts. I was eager to hear what the Ontario Federation of Anglers and Hunters was hearing from the government of Ontario around whether or not people could go ice fishing. We pursue what gives us joy. And so if our joy is located in reveling in the implications of the resurrection, his love, his forgiveness and grace, we will be eager to be drawn into worship, drawn into a deeper relationship with God and Christ. If our joy is located in the new creation, the marriage of heaven and earth, where our world would be shot through with the grace, justice, love, and peace of the living God, we will pursue that joy by in word and deed pointing to God's justice in all we do and say and pray. If our joy is located in that glorious future that Jesus is bringing to consummation upon his return, that joy will be the engine of our prayers. As verse 24 says, In that day, in light of the resurrection, you will ask in my name, in line with my character, in line with my work, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. We're praying, may heaven and earth become one. And so may we together yearn for this joy, receive this joy, rest in this joy, and pursue this joy, that we may live in anticipation of the coming together of heaven and earth in all we do and say and pray. On that note, let us pray. Heavenly Father, many of us will find ourselves in sorrow this day, a sorrow that perhaps is known to us alone. Many of us may be numbing the pain, avoiding the pain instead of facing it. 
By your Spirit, bring us to see that on the cross you labored for us. You're in agony for us. But you were pulled through that sorrow by the joy that was set before you. The joy of us coming to new life in you. May we come to know the joy of our salvation, the joy of our adoption as children, the joy of new birth, the joy of an entirely new creation, the joy of the future marriage of heaven and earth. A joy we may have in sorrow, a joy that can pull us through, lift us up, and animate us to live in anticipation of that future. In all we do and say and pray, for it is to your glory alone that we pray. Amen. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.